Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin with Globig, and our hot international business and HR topic today is HR tips for successful international mergers and acquisitions. Our guest expert is Raghu Bhargava, and he's an award-winning co-founder and CEO of the four companies that compose the Global Upside Group. They are the world's leader in providing HR, payroll, accounting, finance, compliance, and talent acquisition services. So welcome, Raghu. It's so nice to have you on our podcast again. Thank you, Anke. Yes, it has been some time, but I appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic. Look forward to this one. I always really love the topic of merger and acquisitions because it leads into probably one of my favorite things, which is culture and the human factors. You know, we all know and statistics and all sorts of studies have been done to show that the failure rate for M&As to really drive significant corporate value is probably in the 80-some percentiles, according to many of these studies. And, you know, that's kind of disheartening. And you keep wondering, well, why do companies keep doing this? But there are actually really specific things that companies can do to really, really improve those success rates. And a lot of it has to do when you pay attention to the human factors. And HR especially has a significant role to play in this process. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, we really want to explore how HR and around kind of the international HR functions can really help to make these M&As more successful. So when you know about a potential merger and acquisition, so what do companies need to consider, especially before they even go down that path or, you know, around culture? What are some of the things that they can prepare for from your perspective? Yeah, that, that's, that's a very good question, Anke. What do you need to think about before you embark on an M&A type transaction versus now that we have a target or now that we've closed a transaction, what do we need to worry about? Because if you're not prepared, planning and execution is key to success in almost all aspects of life. So as you are as you are thinking about an acquisition, you first need to look at yourself and think about what kind of resources do you have to, to, to do an acquisition and what kind of resources do you have that can present your culture to the target? Because if you do not present your culture properly and there is a cultural conflict between how your company is organized and how the target is organized, you know, two months from now, six months from now, when you have consummated the transaction, you're going to end up with most probably, hopefully not a disaster, but most probably a big challenge. Mm -hmm. Now, that is that is looking at yourself. But then as you start to, if you're using an investment banker to help you out with the transaction, or if you are, if you've been approached by a target or a buyer and you are, uh, you are talking to them directly. You do want to, uh, beyond the the mechanics uh, and the basics of the deal, you do want to understand their their culture. And I I personally have been involved in uh, over a couple dozen acquisitions uh, um, in my career. And on on one particular situation, we went in, we started talking to the target, and it was pretty obvious to me 
uh, I was leading the M&A team and it was pretty obvious to me that uh, there was a huge conflict between how we were thinking of everything, life, business, uh, treatment of our team and employee base and stuff versus them. And it was very obvious that they wanted to just sell and walk away. This company was doing about $10 million a quarter when we bought them. And the next quarter, the first full quarter we owned them, they did $1 million because it was such a huge conflict. Um, and and um, they just did not get on board with the, with the way we thought about everything. So that's, a, that's an example of where you can fail by not preparing, not paying attention. Do you find that from an international perspective, it's even um, more extreme just because there's that additional, not necessarily not just understanding the culture at the company, but the culture of the, the people in general and, and, you know, how to approach that wisely, if you will? Yeah, so, so think about going into UK, which, you know, many times we look at it as just a... Um, very, very similar environment to U.S. And what happens is you walk into U.K., the culture is actually very different, even though they speak the same language and they look like us and all that stuff, business-wise is what I mean. Um, they, what ends up happening is if you're not catering to their needs in their current environment, um, then what you're doing is you're causing conflict on day one because the employees are expecting to be treated a certain way and they're being treated differently. So understanding that global culture, uh, the the nature of business, the nature of people in that foreign jurisdiction, and then if you go into you know like France, where even the language is different, mm-hmm. and there's the concept of uh, collective bargaining agreements or unions or CBAs, uh, it actually complicates the life even more. Where we are not used to those things in the U.S. And not understanding or not knowing how to deal with it properly or not having an expert on your team that understands that and how to deal with it will will create problems for you. I think that's always something that companies need to take into consideration. And I think that HR and HR services can really play an important role in, in putting the, you know, from an evaluation perspective and then from a what is a, a plan look like to kind of successfully integrate, right? Yeah, so so we've talked about what do you need to do to prepare for it, correct? Mm-hmm. Because you are obviously, in, in the M&A transaction, and let's just say we're buying a French company, you might be talking to, say, the top five people or the top 15 people in that organization. You're not talking to everybody. But even when you're talking to a very limited handful of people, you are conveying an impression about yourself. They may decide that you don't understand France. They may decide not to sell to you. Right. But then as soon as you, as soon as you show them that you are sensitive and you understand their needs from a local perspective, from a cultural perspective, and then as you start to execute on the transaction, and we'll get into some of these questions about how do you prepare for a successful transition, but I'm going to just jump forward and say, so what happens post M&A? What happens post closing? Mm-hmm. That you already thought about those things that you know are culturally different. And I'll use an example of Cisco. They were known for, at one point, they were doing an acquisition, one acquisition or more per week. So 
and they had this army they had this thing down to uh, a science where they would walk in and everybody would have the new business cards everybody would have their uh, email addresses that said Cisco and so on and so forth. They just had to flip the switches to say, okay, now we're routing the emails to this and they had already set it all up where the emails would get forwarded and things. And that to the buyer, to the acquiring acquired company indicated, wow, these guys know what they're doing. They understand our needs. They are catering to us. And that conveys it. Okay, I can get behind this company, the buyer because you want the rank and file to be supporting the buyer, not just the management, because obviously the management is supportive, that's why they're coming over. Right, so those processes of, of being buttoned up and looking like you've got con, you know, kind of an understanding of what they need and having already thought of that matters a lot. So that's the, okay, we've, we've done this now. What about some of the concerns around employees? So you've got, an unsure situation, unsure situations always cause some sort of stress and anything that's not looking really great, you know, the first people that you lose oftentimes are the rock stars, right? The people that you actually don't want to lose. So how, what are some processes and things you can do to smooth that over? Now, it might be a little different in that they can't maybe move as quickly as they could in the United States just because of in, you know, internationally, they have all sorts of other regulations around, you know, how quickly they can jump jobs. But yeah. certainly, you know, protecting that in advance and being strategic, you know, at what point do you talk to some of those rock stars? At what point do you maybe contractually say, you know, we need for you to give this a couple of years. Let's see if you can help us transition or, you know, what are the things that you recommend from that perspective? So when you when you obviously if you if you acquire a company with ten thousand employees that's a little bit of a different deal but a lot of the acquisitions are smaller acquisitions and in those you have most probably a few key players or maybe twenty or a hundred key players or even in a ten thousand person company there are some key players that you want to retain and maybe retain for a very long time versus you know uh, hey just help us through the transition or whatever. Because what you want to do is, as you are going through the M&A cycle of your diligence and, and, and all of that, what you want to do is identify these rock stars, these, uh, these rocks that you want to keep and maintain in their current status or maybe in an elevated status post-acquisition. You want to not just identify them, but be prepared to talk to them as and when the earliest opportunity arises. Obviously, there's confidentiality issues and things like that. You can just let this cat out of the bag. But at the first opportunity, you want to call them in and talk to them and not talk to them from like, oh, we'll just send some HR junior HR person to deal with this. You want the CEO or the CFO or some senior executive there that cannot just tell them why we are doing this, but also be prepared to answer those questions in a very, very intelligent manner. Because these are your sharpest tools. And if you, and they will ask pointed questions as to why, when, what, where, all of those questions. And somebody like the CEO should be prepared to say, this is why we're doing this. This is why we're buying the company. And, and you need to have the seller's CEO 
their management team standing next to you to showing uh, to show um, goodwill and support and all that stuff. So this is not somebody just flying in in, in a hostile takeover. This is something that we planned on doing and we are going to do this. And these are the reasons we're going to do this. This is what it means for the future of the combined company. And this is what it means to you. And you are a select group that has been invited behind closed doors to talk in a more focused session because you need to understand what is in it for you mm-hmm. for the long haul because what that does is they get the buy-in then they go out and then when they when you're doing the big announcement to the whole company the rest of the 10,000 people most people in those companies are looking at these rock stars and saying oh you are like a senior person or you're an um, you are the best performer on the team or you are the team lead or whatever those roles are. Tell me why are we doing this? Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. it's not just the CEO standing and giving sort of a pre-recorded, pre-written, you know, written, professionally written speech. They're actually getting it firsthand from somebody they've known for a long time, somebody they've worked for with, and they trust these people. A lot of times people don't trust the buyers because it's like, oh, yeah, you acquired us. You're going to lay off a bunch of people and you're going to rejig this and you're going to go do certain things. That happens in every M&A. But hearing something from your coworker carries a lot of weight. And that coworker needs to sing the company line, so to speak. Because, they, because you've talked them through it. Right. You know, you've been in those situations a number of times. So what have you seen work from, you know, when the, the acquiring company brings in some of their team members? And then again, especially internationally, when you have all the cultural differences, is it best sometimes to just allow a little bit of time to get used to the whole process before bringing in people and actually moving them physically in or do you find that having you know like ripping the band-aid off philosophy right where you just start bringing in people right away so that the acquisition is announced and new people show up kind of simultaneously so i think one part uh, is just that initial conversation correct so the transaction closes today tomorrow morning or maybe even later today you want to have that announcement uh, and, and and this way what happens is um, everybody knows what's going on and there is no rumors flying out, uh, around in that respect. Right? But then there comes that whole issue of assimilation. Now, assimilation is kind of complicated because why did you buy this company, these people's uh, employer, and what are your plans for the future of that? So let's say we had no presence in France, we go out and buy a company in France uh, or, or any other country, then uh, we want to make sure that they understand our culture, they understand who we are, they can talk to us, they can reach us, not just in a formal company meeting with another 200 people in the room or whatever, because most people won't ask questions at that point. Uh-uh. But you know, if, if you have some executive visiting there on a regular basis, and you can have a roundtable of executives, correct? It's the CEO week one, it's the CFO week two, it's the CEO week three, whatever that is. Then what they're seeing is that, yes, these are not just buyers that made a financial decision and moved on. Now we're just another X number of people on their portfolio in, 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 in France. 
they have that commitment. They come in here. They are very open-minded. They sit down. They talk. We can go one-on-one. We can go as a group. Five of us as a team go and talk to this this executive that's here this week. And that allows them to... So what you're doing is you are sending somebody who's a champion of the company and convincing these people and showing them commitment. And so gradually you're assimilating without making a big deal of assimilation because you can't just say, okay, you know, the rip the bandaid off is a strategy, but but um, if you rip it off, the guy that gets hurt in that ripping or doesn't like that, he's just, he's just going to get up and go. He's already made up his mind that you, and you cannot change it in the coming weeks, months. But if you take a little gentler approach, then what happens? They're like, yeah, they're not just the damn Americans or damn foreigners or damn whatever uh, buyers that come in and, you know, what do they know about us? Why are you so, so uh, brutal to us? Um, and I don't see that future of us working together. I just see the pain today. That's right. Okay. And, and so, so if you, if you take the gentler approach, you're assimilating them slowly. Obviously, there are things that need to be done tomorrow morning because you know they need to be looking like one company. But not everything can be accomplished tomorrow morning. Well, let's talk about some of those things you had mentioned. The you know transitioning of emails and making sure that people had business cards that were relevant and that they had some way of feeling like they were part of this new company, but there's, there's a lot to it. And I think a lot of this is then on kind of HR and their HR services responsibility again, especially because internationally, they're just not going to have those, they're just not going to have the skills and the knowledge to do that. So let's talk through a really specific, what are the, you know, the checklist, if you will, or the priorities for, making sure that you don't neglect some of these things that have to happen. I mean, one of the biggest ones I can think of is people need to be paid, right? Are there going to be people in the middle of, you know, maybe some sort of leave benefit situation and all of this thing, these things are happening and all of a sudden they don't know what to do anymore. You know, there's just all sorts of things that kind of fall in between those, um, that transition period. Yeah, and, and, and I think, uh, you know, you, you, you hit on a couple of those points where you said, hey, if I'm on vacation, what happens to me? Because I may not, I may have just, today might be the first day I'm on vacation, okay? and I'm out for a week or 10 days or whatever it is. And I come back and it's like, wait a minute, this is not <laughs> where I used to work. That's right. And, this is a new company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did I come to the wrong address or did we move or what happened? <laughs> so, and, 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 and the other most important, in fact, I think in an acquisition, the most important thing is there is no failure in your payroll cycles. Uh Because, look, if you forgot to bill a client or if you forgot to ship it to them or you forgot to pay a vendor, yes, I'm not saying that these people may not be upset or will not be upset, but you can deal with them. Hey, sorry, we were a little distracted. We were focused on the team. We want to make sure that they, they come together properly with us and we're we're really apologetic that we screwed up your shipment, but uh, here let me go fix it today, and we'll get it all taken care of. And and the customers will get over it, correct? They understand you're focused on the right thing, the employees, correct? The team. But if I don't get paid, and I don't care whether I'm the CEO or the or the you know lowest level clerk or whatever, I don't get paid. I'm not going to work here. Right. And 
Uh, and also in this day and age, imagine Anke, you not getting paid on Friday. You have access to so much social media. You can cause so much damage to your employer saying, look at them. They can't even make payroll and they just bought us. How the hell is this going to work out? Right. Mm -hmm. And you just created an immense level of bad will around you, around your, your company and your ability to execute things. So my advice on that, and this is how I've always worked these acquisitions, is that for about 90 days, you're not going to make those significant changes that can make things fall through the cracks. Because you don't understand the, buy, uh, buy, uh, the seller's say, payroll, payroll process. So what you do is, in the first 90 days, you're trying to figure out those payroll processes. You're trying to figure out what are you going to do with this team. And you're figuring it out, how do you make payroll happen, say, on day 91. And if you then, based on that understanding, based on your research, based on talking to all these people, you lay out a plan. And most probably something is going to fall through the cracks because, and depending on the size of the acquisition, maybe many things might fall through the cracks. But at least when you have a plan and you bring everybody in the loop, uh, then what happens is things don't, even when things don't work out, something fails, something falls through the cracks, people say, hey, I'm the one who didn't get paid. Can you please go fix it? And it's like, yes, absolutely. Here's a hotline number to call. We will get you a check in the next 20 minutes. Somebody's going to walk over or we'll wire the money to you today. You know, when I was younger, I had I was part of a trend, an acquisition to a very large company, and this was a smaller company that was acquired. I think there were maybe a hundred people in the small company, but the other large company was really big. And what they figured out was they didn't even have a process for figuring out how to pay. And I think the senior executive had to write a personal check because just to get payroll going because the company and the banking systems were just not set up for an immediate transaction. They didn't even know how they could just write a check for, I don't know, you know, $100,000 for a two week period so that it could happen overnight. You know, just none of those systems yeah. were in place. And there was so much chaos around it that I believe I heard that a senior executive had to cover it because at least they knew how to put money into a bank account quickly and make something happen. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and you know, sometimes uh, I remember one of the acquisitions I was involved in, um, and you know, this is a process we follow for, uh, for example, with all new employees. We have, we followed since then with all acquisitions. We tell everybody, hey, you know, this is the first payroll under the new regime, so to speak. Please make sure on payday to go into your account, confirm that you got paid, and if you didn't, call this number right. or call this person. Because in, in one of these acquisitions, what happened is there was a key, uh, key error uh, uh, and, and the account number for the CEO wasn't entered properly. So guess who didn't get paid? Just the CEO. Everybody else got paid. It's like, and, he, and so you can obviously kid around with a situation like that, especially with a senior executive like that. But then it's like, don't worry about it, Joe. We will get you paid in the next 20 minutes. Right. Now, you may have to go to the bank or we may wire the money or something, but this way you understand. I mean, imagine not getting paid. We all right. have bills to pay. We, and in this day and age, everything happens electronically. So the money doesn't come in. My checks are going to bounce or something is going to bounce. And that's a huge problem. Right. 
and it causes so much stress and so much, I mean, you just go into the, am I not on payroll anymore? Am I getting fired? Do, is this a company I want to work with? Like there's just so much in additional that happens, right? It's not just the the fact that you didn't get paid. It's all the other things that just cause a lot of damage. Yeah. We're humans. We think of the worst answers first. That, <laughs> right. Did I get fired? Is that why I didn't get paid? Right, like, right. no. And I didn't know? <laughs> Am I not part of the yeah. acquisition? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so when a company is preparing for this, let's say, and I've seen this as well, I was also many, many, I don't know, many years ago, a part of an acquisition where the company that I was with was being acquired, but they had run out of money. So there was no, you know, there wasn't another option for how to make this happen. And the new company had to take over immediately to just make sure that things were moving forward. There was no transition period. There wasn't any preparation that you could make by, you know, saying, all right, we are just going to keep going on this for the next 30 days and then move it over nice and smooth. It it was literally from one day to the next that they needed to Mm -hmm. make some changes. Yeah. And and those difficult situations are very, very difficult because most times employees know that we are hand to mouth. If we don't, if we don't get money, whether it's from a customer or funding from some source or whatever. And, uh, you know, we may not get paid this Friday. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, that is a very nervous situation for every employee, even those that are committed to the company, right? Because some people are just going to get up and go because like, hey, I don't want to have that uncertainty. I need a paycheck and all that stuff. And, and so it's sometimes hearing that you have a buyer who has deeper pockets uh, it's it's a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we don't have to worry about cash. Now let's focus on the product or whatever it is that we do, and let's make that happen. And and so that that in a lot of respects plays out better. Uh, but you're right. This also indicates that the buyer might come in that you know, hey, why couldn't you make it on your own? Did you have too many people? Were your processes messed up? Was your product bad? Well, if the product is bad, nobody wants to buy you. But, you know, maybe you have certain things that don't work in the company, certain other products or whatever. What's going to get cut to make this new unit of this buyer successful? Right. Yeah. Thanks. So we've got payroll. That's really urgent. Are there benefit situations? I mean, certainly internationally, oftentimes there's national health insurance or some other things. But... If a company's coming in this direction, you've got benefits that probably need to be hooked up really quickly. And, and it seems like a lot of those things take a lot of time or maybe the funds to fill the pension funds to, you know, support retired people that are using it. There, you know, there's probably just all sorts of what I would consider urgent to somewhat urgent things that need to be taken into consideration and set up. And, you know, the non-payroll benefits piece is, is is fairly complicated. The reason I say that is because it depends on how the transaction is getting executed. So let's say you are buying the UK entity with all of the people and all of the manufacturing facilities and everything that is under that umbrella. It's a little easier answer because everything is in place under that entity. You just bought the shares of that company. Now take a different example where you're buying half the company in UK or 
20 people in UK, 30 people over there and 15 over there. We're actually in the middle of a transaction right now where uh, they're buying they're buying a division of a large company. There were a lot of people in the US and then they have a bunch of people in a bunch of locations um, internationally. And so what you have to do is you have to have a transition plan. You have to have some level of agreement with the seller in that situation that says, yeah, we, we will buy this on July 1, but it'll take us till say 60 days or September 1 to get everything up and running of our own. So we want you to keep these people on your payroll. We'll obviously pay for it. Mm-hmm. But then on September 1, we've lined up everything, comparable comparable uh, benefit programs and, and, and everything else that's needed. Um, because you can't just buy a part of a, a division of a company and just say, hey, look, I'm going to cut your benefits or I'm going to cut your paycheck or whatever it is. You have to, typically you would have to match or enhance the the total compensation. So then you need time to set it all up. And you some of this you cannot set it up because in advance because you need to have those people on your payroll, so to mm-hmm. speak. So again, a lot more planning needs to be done in that case. And you need to have the right service providers that can jump in at the moment the transaction closes, that could be on a Saturday or a Sunday, the, the service provider can fire up the engine and say, don't worry about it. I got it. Mm-hmm. We will get this all going and we will have it all set up for, say, September 1 live date or, or whatever that time frame is. And sometimes these these uh, uh, TSAs or the transfer service agreements, transition service agreements, I'm sorry, uh, can be as much as a year long because just complicated stuff or large company spinoffs. Sometimes they're very short. Like in this case, we have a 45-day transition period. So on September 1st, we need to have everything ready. Okay. I was going to ask you, are there time frames that people need to be prepared for that are just fairly normal? Normal, But it sounds like it really depends on the complexity of the, the companies. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You're correct that um, it depends on the complexity, what you're buying and how you're buying and stuff and things. Uh, and, and sometimes it also matters that do you have a presence in that country or not. So if you already had a presence in UK and you buy a division of another company, you're buying 20 people, it's no big deal. You can just put them, bring them on your payroll, um, so to speak, tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. maybe in a week or something. But uh, if you were, if you had no presence in that country and then you buy a division, then you kind of need to start your own subsidiary and register and bank accounts and so on and so forth. And life is actually becoming a more complicated in certain respects on these benefit programs because of the statutory requirements. As you might be aware, in UK now, every employer has to offer a pension plan to every, irrespective of the size. So you cannot just say, hey, come on to our payroll tomorrow. Yes, they can. But when you do the payroll, you need to do the pension contributions and matching and deductions and stuff. So you need to understand all of that and set it all up. And have people there that can really communicate with the employees and that's where that H, you know, that experienced HR team really comes into place. Absolutely. So are there any other thoughts around M&As and how HR can really support within those that we just didn't have a chance to cover yet that you want to make sure that our listeners um, can, you know, understand better? I think it's like real estate, location, location, location. 
And so similarly in an M&A, it's a planning, planning, planning. And then the day the transaction closes, then it's, you know, work 24-7 to make the execution happen. Right. And and, and 24-7 is even more important in, in, in these international deals because, you know, a lot of the world is sleeping while we are awake. So kind of need to work their time zone. You need to travel. You need to think about all those logistics and who all needs to travel. How do you get 10 people over to some remote part of the world, which is three flights away mm-hmm. to deal with your target? So there's a lot of planning and then there's a lot of execution so, and the more effort you put into the planning, then obviously when things slip, you know how to deal with it. And they're one-off versus 80% of the people not getting paid, as an example. Right. Or, oh, we didn't even know we had to put a ben- pension plan in place. Oh, wow. Okay. How could you miss that? So a lot of planning and then focusing on the execution and doing sessions to talk to people to understand, did we take care of you in this transition? Are there other concerns that we should all answer one-on-one as a team, as a whole group? I think that's really great advice. And, and you know, I'd like to add that it's really important to have experienced partners such as your company to support you because you're going to make way too many mistakes and it's going to cause you more stress than it's worth. And it's really just going to be so upsetting to your employees and to your team. So, you know, just make sure listeners that you do these right. M&As can be really successful too when you think about and plan for these things from the very beginning. So Raghu, I want to thank you so very much for joining us again today and just sharing your insights. It's always a pleasure um, to have you as our guest and I really, really appreciate your insights. So listeners, please make sure that you join the free resource hub on globeek.com. And if you're serious about doing business internationally, there's so much information there for you. And there are wonderful services such as Global Upside and the whole group that can help your day-to-day be much more successful. You can also subscribe to this podcast channel for more fantastic international expansion advice. So thank you for joining us today.